Uh, today we're wrapping up a teaching series uh, called Lifehouse, How to Live a Radiant Life. And this series is based off uh, some teachings of Jesus, some of his parables. Uh, and, and today we want to dig a little bit deeper. We come moving your mic just slightly. Um, Jesus told this parable, uh, it's, it's almost an obscure parable uh, uh, about this evil spirit. And the evil spirit is inhabiting this house, it's in this dwelling place, and it gets cast out. And it goes and it wanders, and the wilderness goes and wanders in the desert for a little while, this unclean spirit. And after a time wandering in the desert, he comes back to, to check and see if anyone has come back into the house. And he finds the house clean and swept, and everything is in order, except the house is empty. And so it goes and he calls seven evil spirits, unclean spirits, even worse than himself, to come and to occupy this space. And Jesus, in his parable, he switches from talking about a house and then says that the person is now seven times more worse off than they were before. And it's teaching about in our, this space within us is going to be occupied by something. And if we don't occupy our internal castles with the teachings of Jesus Christ, something inevitably will show up to occupy that space. And so we've been talking about these teachings of Jesus, of, of filling our lives with the teachings of Jesus Christ. That's what he said. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the triune God, and teach them to obey all the commands that I've given you. So we're supposed to embrace, embody these teachings, and share these teachings with others. And, and so we've looked at all of these different teachings, teachings about talents, teachings about wealth, teachings about mercy, teachings about forgiveness. And today, uh, we're going to take an even broader picture and talk about what's the real impact of these teachings. What are these teachings supposed to draw out of us? How will they manifest themselves in our lives? And so just a few verses past the verse of the wandering evil spirit that occupies the house. Jesus uses uh, an example of a lamp. In Luke chapter 11, verses 33 and 34, he says uh, the BBS verse, I know you all know it, no one lights a lamp and then hides it under a bush. Oh no. Right? You know this song? Instead, a lamp is placed in the sand where its light can be seen by all who enter the house. And now we know Jesus is already using house and life interchangeable. And he says, your I is a lamp that provides light for your whole body. Now your eye is not the light, but your eye is a lamp that provides the light for your body, for your house. Now I want to go a little bit deeper than the BBS song, Hide Your Light Under a Bush or No. If you want to sing, you guys want to sing that? Okay, we got it. So I'm going I'm to go a little bit deeper, and so it's going to require a little bit of your, your, your brain power to require all of mine. But are any of you familiar with uh, Plato's allegory of the cave? Okay, so Plato, uh, at this, this kind of philosopher guy, uh, not the kind that you, you, you know I'm talking about, the other guy. Yeah, okay. Not the kind that your kids play with, but, but the Plato, the, the philosopher, thinker, he had a way of describing the process of education, and he used the allegory of a cave. Let me, let me try to explain it to you. I think we even have an image that, that, that can help us a little bit. 
There it is. So to describe this process of education, of enlightenment, of coming to understand new things, he said, imagine three prisoners chained inside a cave. Their backs face the opening of the cave, and so their heads and their vision and their eyes only see the back of the cave. And they're chained, they're shackled in such a way that they can't turn their head, they can't move their head. All they can see is the back of the cave, right? And they've been chained there since birth. Now, in this cave is also a fire. And the fire is behind the prisoners. It's at the prisoner's back. And occasionally, people will walk between the prisoner's backs and the fire. And when they do, it casts a shadow on the back wall of the cave. Now, the prisoners can't see the object passing in front of the fire. All they can see is the shadow. And because they're locked in on that back wall, they begin to see the shadow as reality. And they see the shadow as, oh, that, they name the shadow. That shadow is a horse. That shadow is a circle. That shadow is a picture. That shadow is a donkey. Are you with me? The shadows are their whole world. It is their whole reality. It's their whole way of understanding the universe. Until one day a prisoner escapes. He breaks his shackles, turns from facing the back wall, and if you can see, he climbs out of the cave into the sunlight for the very first time. Now it's uncomfortable at first because his eyes are not used to the light. Can you imagine? The, the light is blinding at first, and, and it's disorienting. But as he spends more and more time outside of the cave, he begins to realize that the shadows that he has been seeing as his reality, that the shadow of a horse is not really a horse, but for the first time, he is seeing a horse for what it is. He sees for the first time that the things that he was thinking were real and actual, the ways he was interpreting the wor world, were just bad reflections or, or shadows of what is real. Now, after some time in the light, this prisoner who has escaped decides to go back and rescue his two friends. So he goes back to the cave and he crawls down the entrance and his two friends are still chained there, shackled, looking at that back wall. And he runs to his friends and he says, that shadow of a horse, that's not a horse. And, and that, that thing that you're seeing that you're calling a circle, that's not really a circle. How do you think they respond? They think he's crazy. They think he's lost his mind. And they refuse to listen to him. Are you with me? So we have the, this kind of picture of reality, and the moral of the story works in a couple of ways that, that all of us, like the prisoners in the cave, come equipped with these natural filters through which we interpret the world around us, right? So if you're born in a trailer park and live your life in a trailer park, you have a way of understanding the world, right? And if you're born in, a, in New York City and you live in a penthouse your whole life, you have a way of understanding the world, right? We have these filters through which we understand what's real and what's not real, and it shapes our, our perceptions of true and false and valuable and cheap. And, and it's all based on this experience of what we can see. And Plato would say education 
is the process of climbing out of that cave. Are you with me? Mm -hmm. Education is the process of breaking those chains and looking at the world through new eyes, from a whole new perspective. Now, 300 years after Plato, Jesus comes on the scene and says, your eye is a lamp. Put that verse back up there if it's still here. Your eye is a lamp that provides light to your whole body. Now remember what I said. The eye is not the light. Right? The light for Jesus is the light of God. It's the light of the Holy Spirit. It is the enlightenment that, that comes from God. It is his will, his teachings, the kingdom of God, it's always the present. John 1, 5 says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. So, your eye is not the light. Your eye is the lamp. And when Jesus is talking about eye, I don't think he's just talking about this physical thing that he, he that can see. It's not just sight. But when Jesus talks about eye being the, the lamp, what he's talking about is insight. Right? Not sight. It is about comprehension. It is when uh, you, uh, you're in a conversation and someone is explaining someone something to you and you say, oh, I see. It doesn't mean that you literally see it with your eyes. It means you, you get it. Right? And he, Jesus is saying, your eye is this part of you that either gets it or doesn't get it. it your eye is this part of you that, that filters what's real and what's true and what's not true. Your eye is this, 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 this frame of reference we use to interpret the world. Your eye is this way of, for, for you of interpreting what is reality. All right, I know that was, that was taxing your brain. Are you still with me? All right, I'm going to tell you a kid's story in just a minute, so we'll, we'll all be on the same plate. <laughs> Go on to this next verse. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your whole body. Now here's where things get interesting. Um, your eyes can just feed you. Look what he says. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with what? But when it is bad, your body is filled with what now? So make sure that the light you think you have is not actually darkness. Now, this is deep stuff right here because he says you can think that you have light, but the light that you think that you have can actually be darkness. So let me explain this to you the, the easiest way I know how, and that is to tell you the story of the emperor's new clothes. <laughs> You guys know the story. All right, it's uh, Hans Christian Andersen, 1800s. I, and uh, I'm not going to show you the pages, but I want you to follow along. I just want to read you the story. If you, if you have it in reference to understanding teaching inside and insight, this is a great story. It begins, many years ago, there lived an emperor who spent all his money on new clothes. He cared nothing about his country and only thought of driving in the park to show off his clothes. He had a costume for every hour of the day. Now, many visitors came to his great city. <coughs> One day, two dishonest men arrived, and they told the people they were weavers and knew how to weave the loveliest cloth that anyone could imagine. The colors and patterns were, were not only beautiful, they said, 
but the clothes made of their material became invisible to anyone who was unfit for his office or was just stupid. Are you with me? This is an important part of the story. So to anyone who was unfit for his office or stupid, the clothes become invisible. They would certainly be fine clothes to have, thought the emperor. By wearing them, I could tell the wise from the stupid. That cloth must be woven for me at once. And he gave the two weavers a great deal of money to begin their work. And they immediately set up looms and asked for the finest silks and pretended to work far into the night. But they had nothing at all on the frames. I should like to know how they are getting on with the cloth, thought the emperor. But he had an uneasy feeling when he remembered that anyone who was stupid would not be able to see it. Of course, he was certain he had nothing to fear, but thought it best to send somebody else to see how matters stood. I will send my honest minister to the weavers, thought the emperor. He can judge the cloth, for he has sense and intelligence. So the good minister entered the room where the two sat working at the empty looms. Mercy on me, I can't see a thing, thought the minister. Is it possible that I am stupid and not fit for my office? It certainly would never do to say I cannot see the cloth. Now isn't that a beautiful piece of cloth, asked both the weavers. So the minister said, oh, it is beautiful. What a pattern and what colors. I shall tell the emperor that I like the fabric very much. Soon everyone in the city was talking about the wonderful power that lay in the cloth. Now the emperor wanted to see it, so accompanied by a number of attendants, including the honest minister who had been there before, he went to visit the dishonest weavers. Your majesty, isn't it magnificent, cried the minister, pointing to the empty looms. What's this, thought the emperor. I don't see anything. Am I not fit to be emperor? Aloud he said, oh, yes, it's very beautiful indeed. The attendants stared and stared, yet although they saw nothing, they all exclaimed, Oh, it is very beautiful indeed. They advised them to have clothes made of this splendid cloth and to wear them in a great procession soon to take place, and everyone was perfectly pleased with the suggestion. The night before the procession, the, procession, the weavers sat up at their work. They pretended to take the fabric from the loom and cut the empty air with big scissors. They sewed with threadless needles and finally said, At last the clothes are ready! The emperor and his attendants arrived. The weavers lifted their arms in the air as if they held something in their hands. See, they said, here are the trousers, the shirt, and the cloak. They are all as light as a cobweb. A person would think that he had on nothing at all. Of course, everybody replied, but they could see nothing, for there was nothing. Will your majesty now undress, said the weavers? Then we shall put on the new clothes. And the emperor took off his clothes, and the weavers pretended to put on his new suit. The emperor turned in front of a mirror to view himself from all sides. How well they fit, said everybody. What colors, what splendid garments they are. They are waiting at the door with the canopy, which is to be carried over your majesty in the procession, said the master of the ceremonies. Well, I am ready, said the emperor, and he turned around once more before the mirror. 
The attendants who were carrying the train and the cloak fumbled on the floor with their hands as if they were picking it up. Then they walked along holding their hands high. They did not dare let it be known that they could see nothing. And so the emperor marched in the procession under the canopy, and everybody on the street in the windows cried, the emperor's new clothes are magnificent. No one would admit that he saw nothing. For that would have meant that he was unfit for his office, or that he was stupid. He's only in his underwear, said a little child. One person whispered to another what the child had said, but he's, he really is only in his underwear. At last shouted all the people. And I love this part. The emperor had a queer feeling, for it seemed to him that they were right. Then he thought, I must bear up to the end. So he bore himself still more proudly, and the attendants walked along behind him, carrying the train, which was not there at all. Isn't that an intriguing story about sight? The moral of the story is that many of the people claim to see beauty where none exists. They claim to have sight, but are blind to the truth. In a couple of different places in Scripture, Jesus warns about this idea. He says, there are those of you that have eyes to see, but don't see. He said, there are those of you that have ears to hear the truth, but you don't hear. You see and don't perceive, you hear and don't understand. And every teaching of Jesus is an attempt by Jesus to unshackle us. Amen. Do you see that? To drag us out of the cave and show us a whole new world. To help us see things as they truly are. Our, in, our, in our world, bad language makes you tough, right? It makes you serious. It makes people take you as a, as, a, as a serious person. It's a great way to express your feelings. And she says, don't you see? Out of the overflow of your heart does your mouth speak. You see how he shows us a whole different Reality, our world says revenge is your right, and Jesus says, let me show you your true rights to forgive, as you have been forgiven. And in fact, I want you to take it a whole other step. I want you to love those persecuted. I want you to love your enemies. Our world tells us and shows us that strength and wisdom and our talents are, are for our benefit. But Jesus says, no, 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 don't you understand the strength you, you have and the wisdom you have and the talents you have? Those have been given to you so that to benefit others. And wealth has, has nothing to do with cars or houses or bank accounts, but having a deep relationship with God. Jesus says that life is, is, is more 
than what you eat. It's, it's more than what you drink. He says that, that heaven and hell, this picture of our world, has the, the, these are some other places, some, somewhere else. But Jesus said these are very real places that, that some of you are in now. Jesus teaches uh, uh, about giving and tithing. He says giving and tithing, this shouldn't be a begrudging thing, but, but comes from a totally different worldview. One in which God is a good father who willingly provides for his children. And we, giving and tithing is just a response to that. We have a worldview that says sometimes that, that sees that volunteering in the nursery or, or, or serving your neighbor, it's not something that, that should be forced or, or coerced into doing but it's an opportunity for you to share the same love God has shared with you. Jesus says leadership isn't about seeking honor for yourself, but, but true leading is about honoring others before self. And marriage isn't about what you get, but about what you can give. Obedience isn't a punishment, but the way we show we love God. And beauty isn't, isn't, a, isn't a runway model. But beauty is wrinkly old Mother Teresa dirty serving the poor. Jesus says, the world has this picture that God is somewhere else. But I'm Emmanuel. God with us. We want to believe that God is, is in this distant place. But I'm telling you, he is right here. He's not in some cloud care bear city. But near. Look at that verse again. Then your whole life will be, what's that word? 
as though a floodlight were filling your life. He says, when you really start to get it, right? When you give your life all in to Jesus Christ, when, when you have a deep, meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ, you won't be able to hide it. It won't be containable, right? And you won't have to feel like you're manipulating it or coercing, well, I need to be a better Christian or I need to be doing more of this. Or no, it's just going to come out of you, right? It's, it's because of who you are. You'll see the world and all its promises are just shadows on a wall. You'll see the truth that this world has no clothes on. It's naked and exposed. Your friends in the cave will see the truth in you. You won't be able to contain the light inside of you. You won't be able to hide the insight you have received. Friends and neighbors will begin to see the world in a new way because of the light of God that's in you. Everywhere you go, you're going to be exposing the lies of the world just because of who you are. Because of the light that's in you. And when we trust God and apply the teachings of Jesus Christ to our every day, like I said, you won't have to force it. You, you, you won't uh, uh, have to somehow try, try to, well, I'm trying to be a better Christian. You won't have to somehow try to manufacture it or manipulate it. You will be transformed into the image of Christ. Your eyes will be open and your lives will be radiant. Hide it under a bush in your break. There's no hope of that. When you fully embrace the education, the teachings of Jesus Christ, that is what the teachings of Jesus Christ offer. They offer not just a better kind of life in the one that we're already living, but the teachings of Jesus Christ, when we fully embrace them, they offer a whole new world. Jesus says in Luke chapter 8, verse 10, says, you are permitted to see the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Do you believe that? He says that already now, already here, woven into the fabric of this place, God's kingdom is popping up in all of these places. And you can see it. You have been given permission to see it. Not only is there a whole new world, a new reality, woven into the fabric of this one, but through the teachings of Jesus, as you get closer and closer to Him, as He becomes more and more Lord of your life, it will be incredibly visible to you. So the question this morning is, do you have eyes to see? What have you been pursuing? What have you been placing the value on? What have you been calling real? Lots of people in, in, in churches even claim to have sight. But they don't. Maybe they don't have the courage or the conviction. 
But the little boy standing on the side of the road knew that emperor didn't have no clothes on. And Jesus says, you have been given eyes to see. What do you see? Is your life filled with light, with no dark corners? Are you living a radiant We're going to enter into a time of communion now. And um, what's going to happen is uh, we've created a space for you to respond, for, for everyone to respond in a couple of different ways. We have three communion stations set up. And in just a moment, I'll say a prayer, and I'll dismiss you to these communion stations, invite you to, to uh, for those who, who have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, to, to, to take the bread, which represents his body, and to drink the cup, which represents his blood poured out for us. Um, Remember, our world tells us that our sins keep us in this place that we're not good enough and will never be good enough. But the blood, the body, and the blood of Jesus Christ said, "I have washed your sins completely away. I have made you white as snow." And so, as you take communion, it's time for you to see the world in a new way. To see the world, to see God's kingdom at work in this place. As you take communion this morning, it's time for you to. Confess, give up those things that you've been seeking after, those things that, that are just going to leave you naked and exposed one day. Those things in our world that maybe you've, you've aligned behind it and embraced, but are really just shadows of the As you take communion, it's time to step into the light. Open yourself. Maybe you have some dark corners this morning and you need God to come in and root those out. So in just a moment, we'll give you a chance to take communion. We invite you to, to share communion together in groups or with your spouse. Um, maybe there's something that you want to pray for. Maybe you're more comfortable uh, having this time alone. If you need to have some alone time with God, we invite you to that space too. But I do invite you to commune together. Maybe even a stranger or guest this morning, if you're comfortable doing that. Also during this time is a chance for you to respond. Um, if you'd like to have our elders pray for you or have me pray for you, then I'm just going to move up here to this kind of corner area right here. Um, if, if there's some stuff happening in your life that's, and, and you just need to, to have some godly men pray over you, then we want to give you that chance to. Maybe you're ready to give your life to Christ. Hey, I've been living this whole other false life and today I'm ready to step into life. Praise God. We want, we want to give you that chance as well. So I'm going to say a prayer for us and then I'll dismiss you to this time of response and communion. Our worship team, uh, they're just gonna they're just gonna let the space be and allow the space to be. It's just a space for you. And after a few moments they'll come up and do this worship again. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for your word and your teaching. I thank you for the Bible, for how it, it communicates your will to us. And Father, today as we've talked about your teachings and, and what they accomplish in us. God, I pray that the darkness we've been pursuing, the, the things, the, the, the false things in this world, the lies of this world, will be exposed so that we would pursue the truth. Father God, I don't think there's one of us in here that has some dark corners, that times when we wanted to hang on to the promises of this place, but Father God, these promises are false. So God, as we take this community, as we remember the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ, for us, let us step again into the light. Let our eyes be open to 
reality and you let our, let our eyes be open to a whole new world. Let us see this world in this place with the, the same way you do compassion and grace and mercy and love. Father, right now we ask that even as we say this prayer, the Holy Spirit would, it, would be exposing the lies that we've been Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.